Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're back with a big interview. We're looking at 2015, 2016 and picking out some of the best bits and clumsily gluing them together. Evo Stick sponsors this show. You'll all have your opinions on how our guests would rank in terms of football ability, in their prime particularly. I happen to think that we've talked to some who are Hall of Famers in any company or during any era, but occasionally a name comes up that causes them to draw breath. This collection is dedicated to those parts of the conversation when we get to talking about one of the all-time greats, sometimes with someone who's got a unique angle from which to examine those special talents. So, on Leo Messi, we've had Gary Neville. And it's his job to find new or refreshing ways to describe what it is this little Argentinian genius does. Gary, I can call him a genius here, can't I? Graham Souness, certainly one of the best players of his generation and in my all-time eleven. Plus, Peter Beardsley have got things to say about Messi themselves. We'll put a video of the warm-up routine that so enchanted Peter on our blog, which is at grahamhunter.tv. Have a look at it. Paul Clement worked closely with Cristiano Ronaldo during his time, his successful time with Carlo Ancelotti at Real Madrid. And Paul gives us insight into that unsurpassed work ethic, which has elevated Ronaldo above almost everybody else. He'll also tell us about the lighter side of his personality. It's a good anecdote, I promise you. Harry Redknapp remembers the development and then the graduation of Gareth Bale into an international superstar. The mighty Darren Fletcher, easily the nicest man in the world, gives us a timely assessment of Wayne Rooney's contribution to a succession of Manchester United teams. Henke Larson is better than all of them, at least in the eyes of Kevin Bridges. And Danny McGrain might just top the list for Charlie Nicholas, who benefited from Danny's generosity as a man, as well as his huge influence as a teammate. Unfortunately, not many of us listening were lucky enough to see John Charles play football live, but Joe Jordan followed the trail that that Welshman blazed from English football to Italy, and Joe tells us about the gentle giant's impeccable reputation in that ultra-demanding football country. The amount of players I get heard called geniuses. <laughs> he's magic, he's a genius. Yeah. He's a magician. No, he's not. There's nowhere to go from there. There's nowhere to go from genius. There's yeah. nowhere to go from magician. There's nowhere to go from... <sighs> you know, there's n- these words leave you no room for... So I watched I watch Messi play against um, Manchester City in the new Camp. And I was genuinely, for the first time, I think, in my football career... I can think of maybe Ronaldo a couple of times at United where I was watching injured in 2007-8 where I was probably similarly mesmerised. But I was genuinely, as a broadcaster, the only time I've ever watched a performance where I've been genuinely mesmerised by a player was Messi for the 20 minutes before half-time in the new camp against Manchester City. I was like, and I've seen him before and I've seen him on the television and you know, I've seen him live many times as you have. 
but I was genuinely thinking this is as good as it's ever going to be. Yeah. This is this. I'm happy to use. Every, I call it a scandalous. It's scandalous talent. It's out of this world, and people on social media will tell you, "Well, oh, you you're bullying him up to." You cannot go. That's the point where I just thought I have to go for it. But it's the only time. But once you've used that for him, everything else is below that. Everything else, every work that you know, you can't again go and call. You know, with respect, watching a player at Burnley Tottenham last week, you can't go and call him scandalous talent mm. or a genius because you've called Messi that. So I always like to think where I pitch things is relative, generally through. That's difficult. It's difficult to get that right. I think. But why do we humans like boxing? Why do we like contact sports? Why, you know, the richest prize in sport was a boxing, was fighting. You know, why, why, why do we like that? Because we like see young men test their physical strength against another young man, their mental strength against another young man. Football's no different. I think, I think um, a lot of people from my generation, not players, would say they enjoyed the football then far more than they do, they do now. I feel that, there's, that it's more bloodless. I, we see more of Leo Messi now than we could have done in your day, because even because of his size, simply ah. because he is so small. That I'm not yeah, but he's all he's all there, isn't he? Oh, under air. I mean, you know, he's he's, he's you solid. Yeah, he's it, I think you know my thoughts on Messi. I think Messi's the best player that's ever kicked a ball, mm-hmm. and I think he would have been if he had played in my generation or before my time. The, he, he could have done these things then. Yep. It's funny, I was talking to one of our coaches yesterday because when we train and obviously a ball will go somewhere, I almost become a ball boy, just naturally, not, not in a negative way. And then we'll have a clump of balls where we're, we're feeding from and I'll like, I may be 50 yards away and I will always ping the ball back from where I am or the side volley. So I, I pick it up and I volley it and it sounds bigger. Nine times out of ten, it'll go where it go. And people are like, they look at you like they're surprised, but... It's practice. Mm-hmm. It really, that's as simple as that, you know. And, and I keep telling them, you know, not because of me, but practice. And I talk about Messi all the time. He doesn't get that because he doesn't want to practice. He looks as though he wants to play football. I saw him in the Champions League final, Graham. You ever saw him at Wembley mm-hmm. when they beat Man United? Mm-hmm. I saw him and Danny Alves about 40 yards apart, volleying the ball, keeping it up, volleying it back. Wow, it was one of the most pleasurable things I've ever seen on a football field. And that was just warming up. Let's take an example. Two examples, two superb free kick takers. How much would Cristiano practice his free kicks and how much would that, would there ever have been a limit if he wanted to do half it? How much did Gareth practice his free kicks or do they, is the modern player so in control of the ball that they don't need to practice their ball taking? I know they practiced almost without fail before a game, the day before a game, they would be 15 to 20 minutes of central free kicks. Sergio Ramos would be in that group. So, yeah, Bale, Ronaldo and Ramos with a goalkeeper before every game would practice 15 to 20 minutes. We didn't like the group getting any bigger than that because there'd be too much queuing and it wasn't necessary for massive numbers to practice that skill because ultimately you're looking at two or three players are going to step up and have that opportunity to take it in a game anyway. But multiply that by you know, 60 games and we were 60 games you know that's that's just that's a good amount of practice it's pet back against Madrid again the, all the little swirling things about memories of 2011 and pet the ultra Catalan against Real Madrid and then you go to Bavaria he's subsequently said that the players convinced him to change his tactics and he did and I can't speak in asterisks so he said it's the biggest fuck up of my life 
Had you expected them to play the way they did? What, what was your tactical, strategic preparation for that night in the Allianz Arena? Cool, that's a that's a good question. It was absolutely to you know play on the counter that you know we had the one 0 advantage. It's slim. It's a slim advantage, but the fact that we were able to prevent them scoring, and you know that the away goal carries is heavy, did give us that confidence that we knew that because we stopped them, we've got the firepower to be able to score, whether that be from a set play or a counter. With the way the team were playing, the form of Ronaldo, he had a a lot of goals in the Champions League at that point. He was about to break the record, all-time record. Yeah. And lasted since 1963. Right. So, yeah, he was in massive goal-scoring form. Everybody seemed to be in massive physical fitness because what I'm trying to mash together and what I'd welcome as well is, you know, as you're watching it from the bench, apart from the euphoria when we're in the final, it must have unrolled, unravelled differently than you expected because as a spectacle it was really all Bayern were all over the place all over the place really quickly as soon as it was 2-0 on aggregate they weren't right and yet Ramos Ronaldo particularly Bale were playing as if they thought they were 16 feet tall and could beat 20 men that when form confidence strategy trusting your teammates comes together it's powerful and you know there was a stage at which it looked as if you could have you know they, they were not long off putting seven past Barcelona and on that night until there was a little bit of retrenchment it looked as if Real Madrid were going to put seven on Bayern Munich yeah I mean again it's another game where they've had they've had more of the ball but uh, we were just more efficient more effective to uh, the two set plays early on put us in a great position had they been trained yeah, of course. You know, we practiced set plays. We made sure we were very organised you know, going into it. At that level, the finest detail is so important. So, you know, we were very thorough with the set play preparation. And when the second one goes in, you know, the, the second Ramos header, 3-0 with two away goals. You know, we're, in a, we're in a fantastic position now. The counter was a fabulous goal and then rounded off with... Ronaldo's free kick underneath the wall which we spoke about in the, uh-huh. in the pre-game talk we had a video of Bayern's wall jumping and um, you know Cristiano's taken on board what we showed and there's one thing taking it on board and there's another thing executing that because to hit a ball low hard underneath the wall is not an easy skill to do but uh, it ended up being a fabulous result and then I have a really memorable moment about when we went out into the tunnel the tunnel at Lisbon is quite short so you, you pretty much only had enough space for the two 1 to 11s to line up and then there's the wall but there was just enough space for me to be like the 12th man <laughs> right at the end of the line because I wanted to see out onto the field what was happening and it was the end of the ceremony and you could see the act going on on the pitch all the colours you could just about work out that the rail fans were to this side you could see the white and then just there through the doorway the red and white of Atletico and then the trophy was sitting on the podium and it was a real like hair on the back of your moment situation I was in and I was standing right behind Cristiano and uh, without even realising it it kind of took my breath Yeah. and I went like that and he just turned and looked over his shoulder and went Paul don't worry like that <laughs> And I thought, really, I'm not even playing. I'm not even playing. 
and he's telling me not to worry. He's hereby got my Ballon d'Or bought next season. That is class, that is brilliant. That is wonderful. It's a great moment. I'll never forget that. One of the players who's out in that league, one of the players that David's real associate I will have to face is an ex-pupil of yours. Somebody who I thought you changed as a footballer. I'm talking about Gareth Bale. In that, I remember very well, we had a mutual friend and he told me that Gareth needed a little bit of a G up from you. Mm. Get fitter, lose some weight, cut the hair, sort mm. himself out. Maybe take football, I don't know if it was more seriously, but that you gave him a talking to that helped him transform from a promising player at Tottenham mm. to somebody who became oh, one of the world greats. Cool, so yeah. Talk me through what you did with him. No, that. I just felt, when I went there, he was, you know, he'd gone for a, a spell where he'd played, he'd gone like 20-odd games without being on a winning team, hadn't he? He'd never played yep. on a winning team. It was yep. an unbelievable record, really. Not It wasn't his fault, but it's just the way it worked out with him. But I just found every day in training, he'd get a little knock. I could see him now limping off on one leg and like, the physios running over to him. I always thought he was messing about with his, in them days with his hair, wetting his hair, putting the clips in. And I just said to him, like, stop messing about with your barnet, you know, and just get on with it. And, you know, when he was injured, I said to the physios, leave him. He'll get up. Just leave him. He'll get up. Don't go running over to him. You know, if he's badly injured, he lays there long enough, different. You keep running over, and the more you do it, the more he limps off. But now he suddenly, I don't know, he, he developed, and he's just an amazing talent. I think, you know, he's, he's up there with the best, I think, you know, in, you know, Messi, Ronaldo, Suarez. He's just behind them, you know. Why, he's, why is he? What? He's got everything, I think. I mean, I was worried about him when he went to, you know, Real Madrid. I did worry about whether he would get overawed by Ronaldo and, and feel a little bit inferior and maybe go in his shell a little bit. But, I mean, that last season, he was, he was excellent, wasn't he? I mean, this season hasn't... The first... Was it the first season? Like the first season was underappreciated. In yeah. Where you arrive late. Yeah. You're not fit. You're at the world's most demanding club, which I say yeah. seriously. Foreign language. You get injured early on. Carlo Ancelotti is changing the shape of the team around. He scores goals, he makes goals, he impresses Ronaldo in training, he wins yeah. Ronaldo's admiration, he gets a cup final winner, he gets a Champions League goal, mm. and he not only copes with it, he develops. You can see that he's improved in year one. Mm. I would say year, year two is different, and having watched him under Hewitt Spurs, I wondered whether the fact that he then changed and grew the hair long again meant that he felt he'd arrived, that he was yeah, the boss, yeah. he was in charge again. Yeah. And, and I think under... The second season syndrome, I think Cristiano Ronaldo looked over his shoulder and said, I've got a threat here. And mm. I think that didn't help Gareth's development, which is presumably one of the things that you were concerned about, whether he's got the natural outgoing yeah. dominance to be able to say, I'll take you on. Yeah, Cristiano. yeah, I'll take this free kick, yeah. This is good free kick, I'll, t- I'll take this, I'll do it. You know, you know at Tottenham, he, he was doing everything in the end. He was taking every free kick. And I, I just wonder whether he'd go, you know, go under under a little bit with Ronaldo. Do you but, think that about shyness as a, as a personality? Yeah, he's a quiet boy, isn't he? You know, I mean, he's, you know, he's not a... I don't know even how he's settled, really, in, in Spain. I mean, does he, does he speak the language yet, or...? No, I think most he understands. Abroad. I, th- I think he's got a smattering of it. Yeah. And I think it's been, it's been fortunate that Ancelotti and Paul Clement spoke English. Yeah. He's now got a manager in Rafa Benitez, who, who yeah, is a more, the most British Spaniard there's yeah, ever yeah. been. Yeah. So I think he's coping on that side. And I, I, I was an, an admirer of him, and I admired mm. him coming out and saying, at this club, I want to win the Ballon d'Or. Mm. I want to become the number one player in the world. Mm. Because I think you have to show that kind of yeah, yeah, cojones 
I'm saying that I believe you helped with your man man. Not at first, no. He was, but he was very young, Graham. He was only a very young boy. He was, you know, very, very young. And he'd come from Southampton with a big reputation. And, you know, as I say, was in and out the team at Tottenham and really didn't get a run. And people say, well, you, you know, you switched him from left back to... But I'll be honest, I think if he'd have stayed at left back, he'd have been the best left back in the world. He was a fantastic left back. He could have been a fantastic left back. But he went on to be a fantastic left winger or and wherever he plays now when he's freed off. But he would have been a fantastic left back. Why, did no you, why, why were you in favour of altering what he did for the team, where he played? Was it just naturally you thought that there were goals coming? What was the decision-making process? Well, I just felt he had that ability to go by people, to shoot, to score goals. And I just felt, let's get him up the park higher. And it, and it suited him, you know, and then we end up freeing him off. In fact, but the crowd used to sing to me away from home. A lot of the Tottenham fans weren't happy when I started freeing him off in playing like he has. They used to sing his Gareth Bale, he plays on the left because I'd played him off the right or I'd play through the middle. We went to Norwich and I played him inside in a pocket off the front and he was fantastic, scored, right calls. But then as soon as we went behind somewhere, or they, you know, they would start singing his Gareth Bowie plays on the left. You know, people then were suddenly marking him, trying to... Every team we played against, he was their main man. When he played well, Tottenham won. So, you know, I just felt sticking him out, keeping him wide. People would, you know, they would get a dog to mark him. And, and it's very difficult at times to get in the game when you're stuck out on that touchline. I, I like to free him off and let, you know, wherever he picked the ball up, he could go and run with it. Certainly coming off the line in them little pockets. But... Benitez has expressed it as that if Real Madrid can catch another team, rob the ball from another team, Gareth's running that space, then he's got no equals. Because Ronaldo no longer makes those long 50-metre yeah. runs going past people. He's changing his... 31 nil, maybe 32 in, in February. Yeah. But Gareth can do that better than anybody else in the world. What was always asked about him when he came to Spain was whether he had the close control mm. oh, technique yeah. or not. Yeah. Oh, yeah, great technique, yeah. I didn't think there was anything missing in his game, just his personality and his character, whether he could really come out in himself and put all that ability into practice, really. There was no doubt in his ability, in my opinion. And, I mean, Benitez should know him better than anybody. Rafa was a... He absolutely destroyed Macon, didn't he? And then, you know, we, we beat Inter Milan at home. I'll never forget that night because I, I felt they would double up on Gareth that night and they didn't. They left Macon at right back with no one in front of him again and Gareth just absolutely destroyed him. But for somebody as strategic and tactically detailed as... Mm. As Rafa, that came as a big shock. Yeah, I thought they would stick someone in front of Macon and sit him on his toes and just double up on Gareth all night. But we end up with two against one down that side. And every time we got the ball to Gareth, he just ran at him and just destroyed him again. Is that one of the most extraordinary ties that you've been involved in as a player? Well, the first one was, yeah, when we beat, you know, when we we, we went out there and we were 4-0 down, we we had the keeper sent off early. And at half-time, it looked like it was going to be 10 I remember Tim Sherwood saying to me, come in, Tim was there and he was on about taking Gareth off and saying, like, sharp shop. And I said, listen, we've got, we, we're going to have a go. Let's have a go at him, see if we can get a goal, couple of goals back. All right, we, ain't, we don't win the game, but we're going to have a go. And I left Gareth on. We got back to four for another ten minutes. We wouldn't have got beat. They was absolutely gone. So San Siro, yeah. ten men. Mm. Not a particularly experienced European no. Spurs side no. in terms of winning your Spurs and knowing no. what... And you go to 4-3 and if the game's been longer, yeah, you're yeah. going to win it there and then. Yeah, I think, yeah. 
and therefore the way in which they faced up the the the, the second leg at, at White Hart Lane, you know, was, was asking to be beaten. Yeah, I thought so. I thought we, I thought they left themselves wide open, really, leaving Mac on again to try to deal with Gareth one against one, having got such a chasing. And Macron really never recovered from that. He went from being the best right back in the world as he was supposed to be to really suddenly his career took a big dip. Were you aware of Inter Milan's shock that night after the second leg around the club, the officials, the players that haven't been ripped to shreds by your team? Well, in the home game, he went over yeah. there first, yeah. Well, I think they was hanging on. I mean, they were surprised how he came back second half, obviously, and then they've got to come to White Hart Lane you know, for, for the second game. Yeah, you know, I thought they would really say do a job on Gareth because single-handedly almost he'd run them ragged that night, you know. And I thought they would definitely that would be their plan would be to stop him, but they didn't really have a plan to stop him. They let him play, which was amazing. And before you give me a slap round the head, I'll move off the lads and onto Rooney because it's my contention that he's underappreciated, that people don't understand. What an extraordinary talent England have had. And I, I, I find that bewildering. But I think, I don't know, but I think you're quite close. I think you feel the same, well, you know much better than me, but you feel the same as me, that this is a, a much better player than England has appreciated. A much better player maybe even than United fans appreciate. Yeah, definitely. I can't speak highly enough of him mm. because I know how good he is and know how. And I do feel he's underrated, definitely, because... His record's there, you know, he's broke the all-time England goal-scoring record. He's going to break the Manchester United one. If you look at his, his career, he's, you know, he's had seasons where they've been fantastic. But he's the ultimate team player, which is ultimately will be um, detrimental to, to his goal-scoring records and to some of his performances. Because he worked so hard off the ball and he played so much on the left wing, for example, and... Sacrificed so much for the team. Particularly in that Ronaldo season, when when Ronaldo's goal record went off the scale, and he hadn't wanted to stay. That was the season when, in his what he should have been at Real Madrid, Alec phoned him and said, "Don't go." And he went, "Okay." He phoned Ramon Calderon, didn't go, and Wayne set up goal after goal after goal from the left, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. If you look at his assists and goals and and work rate and output in matches, it's it's off the scale. You know, people look at how long he's played for and how many games he's played, but if you looked at this, the data as well in terms of his intensity outputs in the matches, they're through the roof. He's, you know, he's a physical phenomenon that doesn't get the respect I think it deserves. And, and rightly so, I think, I think Wayne was quick to realise that Ronaldo was on this goal-scoring unbelievable mm-hmm. run and ultimately he would maybe have to do more defensive work for the team to win. And he, and he, and he did that because he's a team player. But the most important thing for Wayne was to become a champion for to win to win as a team to win the Champions League to win league titles because it was hit home at Manchester United that great players are looked back on because they win and that was always hit, hit home whether that was because to take away the individual or to, to not the biggest thing was when you look back on it, it's not how much money you've earned how many goals you scored it's how many things you've won and that was hit home because Alex Ferguson used Ryan Giggs as the example of being the greatest Manchester United player because of how many things how many trophies he'd won. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. What did you think of last night? Apart from the obvious and the goals. <laughs> I thought it was alright, aye. <laughs> uh, no, it was the best I've ever seen. I asked because yeah, I was leaving to go to London two weeks after he signed or three weeks after he signed. So we interviewed him and I didn't really see him again until he moved to Barcelona. So I didn't live in Scotland um, for all the time that he was King of Kings. And I was shocked that he took the camp now by storm. And yeah. even in the days of Ronaldinho or whatever. When he left the Barcelona pitch as a, coming off as a substitute, when he came on as a substitute, nobody, Eto. Rivaldo, when I'd been there, Ronaldinho, nobody got a throatier, bigger roar of not just you're good, we love you, we believe in you. Senate Larson played a bit part at Barcelona. The level of affection for him was just out of. And I'm asking about. It was a horrible that day he left. I think it was Dundee United, the last game. And they'd done the lap of honour, projectile tears. <laughs> I, like, I remember it just. <laughs> See that wee, that see that wee emoji, wee emoticon guy that you type when, when you're, when you're laughing, the wee yellow guy with the blue tears, yeah. like that, except for no uh, laughter, it was brutal, it was a, a deep sense of loss about that day, that, his last game. It is physically and emotionally painful when you lose somebody that important to you but from a football club. he could have played anywhere, I don't think anybody was, no Celtic fan was surprised when Larson went on to like, have a pivotal performance, come off the bench in the Champions League. He set up Belletti, didn't he? At Paris, yeah. Even was Henri came out at the end and said, he played for Arsenal in the final, obviously, but he said, tonight i never seen Ronaldinho, i never seen Deco, i never seen Eto'. i only seen one man make a difference, and that was Henrik Larsson. An iconic figure, and because he could have went to any club, but he stayed with us for seven years, and you're never going to see that again. A guy who's going to come to Celtic and play even one season anywhere near the level, uh, Henrik Larsson, he'll be off to... Fucking West Brom or somewhere like that. Because of the because of money. Because of the money, I but Larson could I'd imagine he was still getting weighed. Celtic could have paid a lot higher back then. But But they also incentivised him to stay. He they could easily a, have moved on for They put a golden goodbye at the end of the contract, which is why he stayed and it was very you know it was lucrative for him to stay, but Don't say that, Graham. Now you're through your pain. Don't need to hear that. No, seriously, now you're true? through your pain. <laughs> no, but I'd like to think Could he, should he have left earlier, right? I'm not I'm asking you for his own football No, not not on Henrik Larson's behalf. You've got a football appreciation and brain and appetite that's beyond being a Celtic fan. Van Bronckhorst was always telling him, not just come here, come here, come here. Go, you should be somewhere else. What, retrospectively, how, do you still think you made the right choice? When you look at that Seville year, when mm. we got to the final against Porto, mm. Larson's performance that night. It's off the scale, isn't it? So his ambitions, I don't think anybody can question that. that he, oh, you should move on. Fair enough, people will be saying that to him because he could have played for any club. But I think he had a vision for Celtic that obviously the people that could make that happen never had. For Mark O'Neill and Henrik Larsson and that squad, I think Seville should have been a starting point. Mm-hmm. We could have really built on that team. That's probably the closest my age group will ever see 
to look. Could have been the Porto team won the Champions League the following year. They did very little retouches. The Liverpool team we beat two 0 at Anfield. They won the Champions League two years after with very little touches as well. Mm-hmm. So I think Larson was right to stay because great things could have been achieved at Celtic. It's a brilliant, brilliant answer. That's what I was asking you, not I just it was from a, a Celtic of, fan's I, point of view. I don't think it's a case of that these days. Should somebody maybe it's different because the Scot Scottish football financially has regressed to the extremes that the Premiership has progressed. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I think Larson should have at least been, I don't know, quarter-finals, something Champions League, we could have been, who knows. But it was great that night to see him. I remember having a gig at the stand and leaving to find out what the final score had been and somebody had said Larson had changed the game. I remember being as happy as I'd ever been. It was, it was an extraordinary game. That wasn't like they were being outplayed by 10 men. I was there and, you know, and he has to change the game to a certain degree as well. But the two things I would say is that clearly Larson made that, you know, touch for the first goal. That touch on Iniesta's pass that Eto runs onto. But what happened definitely throughout the course of that was his second season and it was his last game. Players, you know, you've been at enough games now where you see other players saying, oh, he's on the pitch now. We're okay. We're in good hands. Might or might not win it alone today, but something's changed. And the Barcelona players felt like that about him. I used to go to the games, used to be sitting, and no matter what was happening or who you were playing, you're still just going to Henrik's on. It'll be all right. It's like been out with your mental pal. Nobody's going to start with you. Can you imagine <laughs> what it was like for him, though? Because all the time you watched him, yep. it was like, if Henrik ran, you gave him the ball. Aye. If Henrik made a move, he wanted it there, you gave him the ball. But he was never greedy. I remember Harold Bratpack's debut, Celtic Kilmarnock. I think it was four. I think Bratpack scored the four goals, but he had a howler. He was the only guy I've ever seen have a four goal howler. <laughs> Larson made, I think, pretty much would, one of them he even stopped on the line. Would you fly with him now? I believe he's a. Qualified airline pilot now, Harold. Is that right? Is he it? is, yeah. Would you fly with him? I don't Based know on what you saw that day. Harold, that's what ah, I felt you were saying. He looks like a pilot. Aye. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. I was a bit of the pilot about it. <laughs> Aye. Okay. That day, no, no disrespect to Harold, but Larson was never a selfish player, as he was always. But what am I? I wasn't the best option that. was. But that's right, because he was a team leader. His decision making, for example. So. If you're that good and you win trophies and you win matches based on your decision-making and the, the team is subservient to you for the right reasons because you do the right things, you, you resolve problems, and then you go to Barcelona and the system says, the system that you've seen and you understand now, no, you get the ball when we've moved the other team around enough or when Xavi dictates, because when he came, I, I'm, I'm not bright enough to know that it was automatically me. He said, but he didn't understand the system. He went, hold on, I'm in at last and I've just made a brilliant run. It was the right ball to give it to me in Xavi or Iniesta. Maybe it was Ed Milson then was, no, that's not how it works. And Eto also, who's an irascible character, wouldn't give the ball to him. What I learned, what he taught me, Larson, was that he just, when he broke his leg in the, in the class, I remember, he went away and just relearned. At what, what age? I don't know what age it was, 32 or 31. I still or, have that sense of humility on, to go back. I, and the capability to go, I'll just reboot. Yep. So I, I guess it doesn't surprise you, but you know what? You've seen the Barcelona system. It's quite a unique career model when you look at even going back to Firenid, having the fall out there, moving to Scotland. Midfielder at Firenid. There's that kind of 600,000. And then suddenly this team in Scotland, as I'm sure that's Celtic were seen as in his circles, whatever, just like moving to the Scottish League, it's a backward step. To then go on to, be, to get to that level, mm-hmm. that you leave and go to Barcelona and then win the Champions League, and then obviously Man United as well. Seville was his biggest disappointment, but I'm asking you a little bit about that I've experience. Also, just to go back to Henrik Larsson, I've probably the only guy that's got his autograph on a first bus all day ticket. There we go. Queuing up the car park. We're up to collect tickets. One day, me and my mate Tony 
got dogged the last two periods of school on a Friday. Went up and the team were just leaving. Like they trained at Celtic Park that day. So we're sort of hanging about and we've seen a bit of commotion. It was Larson, so the two sprinted right up. But we never had pens or you never had smartphones at the time. All I had was my first bus audio ticket, Clyde Bank to Parkhead. So I was going, you know the way they just grab one pen and just sign everybody's autograph with the same pen? I'd handed it the audio ticket and he sort of looked at me because he had a marker <laughs> pen. And a first bus audio ticket's pretty narrow, so he's, he had to lean on his jeans, but he, they were light blue jeans and a tiny bit of the ink went <laughs> off the audio ticket and on his blue jeans. I remember I was stomach churning. I was like, Henrik, I'm so sorry. As if like, I'm ready to offer, like, I'll go to D2 and I'll buy you a new pair of jeans. Can you afford a new pair? Because I'll find the money somewhere else. He, just, he looked at me and I, he was more, this wee guy took this pretty bad because I was quite a nervous wee guy. And he's going, he's, he goes like, it's okay, it's okay. Then he gave me my day ticket, so we're trying to get back on the bus. But Larson had obscured the date. So... The driver's not letting us on, and my three pals, uh, Tony and the other two, they're going, it's Henry Larson's autograph, mate, as if, like, you need to let him on. And the driver's going, Larson, he's, he's shite, I'm a Rangers man. So we're going, we're going, if I make him on, he was only obviously having a joke, and he waved us on. But only in Glasgow. It was the way my pals rounded round me, as if it should have been, it's Henry Larson. Are you serious, come on? As if that's valid for You're a talking week. talking about, we should be able to drive it home. <laughs> let Kevin in the driver's seat, man. It's, it's a joking. Pass, man. So I've, I've still got it somewhere. <laughs> at that stage in the Scottish education system you could get out of school at about 15 couldn't you? Yeah, I have a birthday right at the turn of New Year on 30th yeah. of December so I'm in, in between that awkward time but uh, anyway the Celtic players used to come in and get some citrons and things and then eventually I trained two nights a week and then eventually I was asked within four months by Billy McNeil who was just taken over from Jock to come in and do a two-week trial. So Eddie Coke with my boss had said, get in there. Yeah. We'll give you the two weeks off. On you go. So on the second day I was there, Danny McGrain came in and I was like, a bit shaky with Danny. <laughs> Understandably. Uh, and he says, where do, you, where do you come from? I says, oh, Mary Hill Barracks. He said, I pass by there every morning. How do you get in? And I said, oh, I get the bus, I get the 61, and then I get, and I walk around the back, I can jump off, get the 64. He said, well, if I'm going by at such and such, is that too late for you to come in? Now, I later joined the ground staff, but I wasn't on the ground staff for that two weeks, although I did a little bit of work after training. So Danny used to bring me in, which I remember waiting, thinking, he'll forget that I'm here. <laughs> and I'm sitting outside this wee pub called The Politician, which is right obviously at the barracks entrance. And all my mates are going by and they're, you know, all right, wee man, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? <laughs> I'm like, how do you say Danny McGrew. What? And sure enough, Danny turns up. Fantastic. In you come, and he picked me up every day I was there. So ever since that, Danny always picked me up. And then there was one time Danny took me back to his house with a bit of lunch, and he showed me some footage of the glish and him. Mm. Oh, I just thought it was the most brilliantest thing. I, and I, I remember sitting there at night trying to work out, why did he show me that? There must be a reason he showed me that. So I don't like keeping too many things in. I like to get it out. So I asked him the next day, boy, why the hell did you show me that? And he says, because I think you're ready for it. Now, I didn't know later on, but David Proven, my, my great pilots guy, later tells me that when Celtic were struggling getting bad results, and I was in the reserve team, they were having team meetings, and Billy McNeil was saying to George McCluskey in front of me, it's not good enough, it's not good enough. And he would say to Danny, his team captain, what have you got to say? He says, the solution is next door. He's staring you in the face, and I don't know why you don't get him in. And I, didn't, I wasn't aware of this, but for, this went on for, by all accounts, four or five months. So Danny became my kind of guru, and whenever I had anything to ask, he was 
Port of call. Full of experience, level-headed, Celtic two and through, and unbeknownst to you, saying to the manager, a legend himself, play this How the hell he never left Celtic? Because everybody wanted him. Yeah. Diabetes, fractured skill, broken shin. I, I watched him coming back from the broken ankle and played Rangers reserves. John McDonald's an up-and-coming star at Rangers and they beat us 7-1. Me and my boys in the ground staff, we were all Danny McGrain fanatics. And we were, the palms of our hands were all sweating, worrying about him. And within three months, he was back in the team, back to his brilliant best. He was the most remarkable individual. Have I described it correctly? Because I'm describing my, my growing up memories of him, that it was about his um, tackling, his judgment, his reading of situations... It felt to me, you know, principally I admired him more for for Scotland than for Celtic, but mm-hmm. it felt like he was one of these defenders who could change the tone or tempo of a game because he'd break up what seemed to be floods of attacks, take it, give it to somebody, and suddenly, you know, a 10-second gap might become a 30-second gap and you're on the attack, and if you were being flooded before, then it, it stopped. He, he seemed to be an enormous football man beyond... He wouldn't even classify him as a fullback. No. He seemed to be more to him he was far. He was far more than that. He was, he was very much an all-rounder. Even when he got older, he eventually had Davy Proben, who was a great working winger. Great crosser the ball, Davy supplied a lot of goals for me. But Davy all liked to do his shift coming back. And it was quite unusual to get that. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was flicks. I and, do the clever and, things. Yeah, and one-twos. And, yeah. But Davy did the other side, the hard jars, as we called it. So he was brilliant for Danny and that, but they two never really always got on. They would fall out all the time. Danny would say, yeah, you've done really well, but he'd fall out with you just as quick. So, you know, it was a reality of standard of where he yeah. played. And at Scotland, at one stage, he was the best left-back we had. And every other right-back only got in because he could play left-back. So uh, he was a most amazing character, Danny. And to still be floating about, for me, is, is, is something to achieve. But I just find that... There's certain clothes, you know, like we, we all want to meet heroes. Remember listening to Kenny Glush's first ever voice interview? I thought, that doesn't sound like my hero. It just sounded weird. Lots of big name people that I've, I've met in my life. John McEnroe, who I loved as a sportsman. But standing up in those, and then you meet really greats, the Beckham Bars and all these type of people. Uh, Cruyffs. But Danny McGrain is right up there with anybody I've ever met. Following in the footsteps of the great John Charles, who you've already mentioned, maybe the biggest success of a British footballer abroad, I don't know, still regarded as one of Serie A's all-time greats. I never realised. I, 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 John Charles would be one of the biggest foreign successes from any country. He was unbelievable. The, the position he held, in not just the, the Juventus fans, but in Italian football, I remember going, watching the TV one night and there was a film and it was him and Savori and they were in the dressing room and it was really mind-boggling where he stands. Unbelievable. And, and say, for example, the Gazzetta della Sport or something like that, uh, every so often, say Juventus were playing Inter uh, and then we'd take a, a, a famous game in the 60s, they, they would show the article of it and the teams and John had done this, Safari had done that, the two had done that. He was an unbel- he was unbelievable. The gentle giant, a brilliant Welshman, played in a World Cup, at least one anyway. I think we're not going to have time to do him justice now, but another forgotten great, great oh, he was, British football. Great what football. He, what he did for British football, I mean, he went there and over a span. He went to Rome, but his time at Juventus and that team was phenomenal. He was as big a name there as anybody. 
that's how he is. I know it's, a, it's. I'm not just throwing it away. That's the impression I get from talking to journalists who watched him play, players, supporters. John Charles was immense. How much do you get in life that's completely free, reliable, regular, good for your sex life, and free? Yeah, the big interview. All of these in their full form, and many more are available if you search for The Big Interview on Acast, that's A-C-A-S-T, iTunes, or usually wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Interview was the idea of Backpage, and it's produced by them. Thanks to Beer Jacket for the music. Keep up to date with everything that we're doing at grahamhunter.tv, where there's a little box where you fill in your email address, and if you sign up there, you'll get our newsletter, which includes the opportunity to put your questions to our guests. We're on Facebook, search for The Big Interview, and GH Podcast on Twitter, plus Instagram. Keep in touch. Let us know what you think. More soon, baby. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 